Good to be here with you. Um, we're all here for the same reason. Each one of you has been born again into the kingdom of God. That's, that's good news right there, isn't it? So um, we're going to open up our service this morning with a, with a psalm, uh, and we're going to spend some time in worshiping our gracious King Jesus. Uh, this is from Psalm 57. My heart is confident, God. My, car- my heart is confident. I will sing. I will sing praises. Wake up, my soul. Wake up, harp and lyre. I will wake up the dawn. I will praise you, Lord, among the peoples. I will sing praises to you among the nations. For your faithful love is as high as the heavens. Your faithfulness reaches to the clouds. God, be exalted above the heavens. Let your glory be over the whole earth. Let's stand this morning and uh, we'll, we'll worship. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name, on Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand, all other ground is sinking sand. When darkness veils his lovely face, I rest on his unchanging grace. In every high and stormy gale, my anchor holds within the veil. On Christ the solid rock I stand, all Just in his righteousness alone, 
faultless to stand before the throne. On Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand, all other ground is sinking sand. On Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand, all other Chuck, great way to start the morning. Well, good morning, everyone, and welcome again this morning. So as we just lifted our voices up to the Lord in praise, we're now going to, as a congregation, lift our voices to God in recognition of our sin and our need for him. So let's do that this morning in our prayer of confession. As we do each morning, I'll say a portion of that prayer, and then if you'll please repeat the prayer with me or after me. Let's pray. O oh Lord, let not your law be a cursing to our conscience. But rather, give us grace under this extreme and heavy burden of sin. To be fully persuaded that you, by your death, have taken away all our sins and fulfilled the law for us. And by this means have delivered us from the curse of the law. And paid our ransom. And then we, being thus fully persuaded, May have quiet and settled hearts. May have quiet and settled hearts. And a free conscience and glad desiring wills. And a free conscience and glad desiring wills. To forsake this wicked world. To forsake this wicked world. Amen. Amen. This morning our assurance of pardon comes from Galatians chapter 3, verses 10 through 14. Please follow along as I read God's word. For all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse, because it is written, everyone who does not do everything written in the book of the law is cursed. Now it is clear that no one is justified before God by the law, because the righteous will live by faith. But the law is not based on faith. Instead, the one who does these things will live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. Because it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hung on a tree. The purpose was that the blessing of Abraham would come to the Gentiles by Christ Jesus so that we could receive the promised spirit through faith. Praise the Lord.
Sent him 
to die I scarce can take it in Then on the cross His burden gladly bearing He bled and died To take away my sin Then sings my soul My Savior God to Thee How great Thou art my soul, my Savior God, to Thee. How great Thou art, how great Thou art, when Christ shall Shout of acclamation and take me home. What joy shall fill my heart? Then I shall bow in humble.
O Lord God, creator of all that is and savior of mankind, we exalt you with our voices this morning. We say there is none like you. And we give you thanks. We are humbled by your presence. And our souls cry just to know you and to be home with you. And to hear your affirming words and see the love in your eyes. And deliver us from this place, God. You reign at the right hand of God until all of your enemies are put under your feet. Let your kingdom come. God, let your will be done. Amen. I could apologize for a second. My, my hand was just flipping out. I just the Lord was touching me, and it was hard for me to play my guitar. So if it was bad, I apologize. Morning. You can be seated. Um, continuing on, we're wrapping up a short section of the Catechism on Prayer, and uh, you can follow uh, along with me in the bulletin. What should you remember when prayers seem to go unanswered? I should be certain that God always hears my prayers and answers them by his wisdom in his own time and manner for my good and for his glory. How should you pray in times of suffering? I should pray trusting in the sufficiency of God's grace and in joyful assurance that suffering produces endurance and endurance produces character and character produces hope and hope does not put us to shame. Let's pray. Great are you, O Lord, and greatly to be praised. Great is your power and of your wisdom there is no end. And man, being a part of your creation, desires to praise you. Man who bears about with him his mortality, the witness of his sin, even the witness that you resist the proud. Yet man, this part of your creation, desires to praise you. You move us to delight in praising you. For you have made us for yourself, and our hearts are restless until they rest in you. Almighty Lord, our God, whose eyes are in every place, beholding the evil and the good, and who sees not only our outward actions, but all our most secret thoughts. We pray that you to maintain in us this day a constant sense of your presence and to preserve us from sinning against you. We are exposed to dangers by night and by day. Our lives are in your hands, and unto you do we look for our preservation from every evil. O Lord, teach us to be ever mindful of you. When we go out and come in, and when we are alone and in company, may we bear in mind that you are continually with us, and that you take account of all that we think and speak and do. As we open your word, blessed Lord, we know that you have caused the Holy Scriptures to be written for our learning. Grant us that we may in such a way hear them, read, mark, learn, and inwardly digest them, that by patience and comfort of your holy word, we may embrace and ever hold fast the blessed hope of everlasting life, which you have given us in our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Good morning. Good morning. 
said that? I didn't even know you were here. Wow. I had no idea you were here. I thought you were camping still. More like ninjas. I thought you were camping, missing the Lord's Day for camping. No way, It's good to see you guys. Open your Bibles to Philippians chapter 3. If you need a Bible, raise your hand. We will surely get you one. And if you don't have a Bible at all, you can keep that Bible that we give you. Philippians chapter 3, we're going to be in verses 4 through 14. This is kind of like a part 2 of last uh, last week. So if you weren't here last week, you will be fine because this is the same sermon you heard last week. Is that okay? (laughs) Rainy's mad now. She wants to hear new stuff all the time, you know. Just kidding. All right. Philippians chapter 3, beginning in verse 4, the word of the Lord. Although I have reasons for confidence in the flesh, if anyone, wait, where'd I go? All right. If anyone else thinks he has grounds for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised the eighth day of the nation of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew born of Hebrews, regarding the law of Pharisee, regarding zeal, persecuting the church, regarding the righteousness that is in the law, blameless. But everything that was gained to me, I have considered to be a loss because of Christ. More than that, I also consider everything to be a loss in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Because of him, I have suffered the loss of all things and consider them as dung, so that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own from the law, but one that is through faith in Christ the righteousness from God based on faith. My goal is to know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to his death, assuming that I will somehow reach the resurrection from among the dead. Not that I have already reached the goal or am already perfect, but I make every effort to take hold of it because I also have been taken hold of by Christ Jesus. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and reaching forward to what is ahead, I pursue as my goal the prize promised by God's heavenly call in Christ Jesus. Almighty, gracious Father, since our whole salvation depends on our true understanding of your word, grant that our hearts, freed from worldly affairs, may hear and understand your holy word with all diligence and faith so that we might rightly discern your gracious will, cherish it, and live by it with all earnestness to your praise and honor through our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. All right. Rejoice in the Lord, part two. All right. In context, remember, all the way back to Philippians chapter 1, verse 27, he talks about living a life worthy um, as citizens of the kingdom of heaven, live a life worthy of Christ Jesus. We're still in that, in that flow. Um, when we get to last week, part of that flow and part of what it lives, looks like to live a life that is worthy um, of Christ Jesus, being a member, being already a citizen of the kingdom of God. I know I say it all the time, but I will always say it all the time. This is not to prove that you are in the kingdom of God. 
This is not to prove that you are a citizen of the kingdom of God. This is not to prove that you are saved. Um, this is in light of the fact that you are a citizen of, of heaven. Then this is what a citizen of heaven looks like. And that's what he's unpacking. And I know that I say that almost weekly, but you got to, to the people of God, because the people of God, myself included, although I intellectually know, of course, what I just said is true, um, that, that I do the will of God, the commands of God, the imperatives in the word of God, I do them in light of the fact that I am in Christ, that I am saved. I don't do them to be saved. I don't do them to prove that that's where I can forget in everyday life. I, I can start to think that my response to living a life worthy of the kingdom of God is, is something that is to prove to God that I'm saved or something to prove to my own heart that I'm saved or something to prove to my spouse <laughs> that I'm saved. I've been trying to do that for 15 years, 17 years. Just, just kidding. Just kidding. I'm kid. I kid. Or we, we go to work and we think we got to prove to the people at work that we're saved. And then that's why we're doing all the things that we're doing, which stinks because we stink at doing all the things that we're doing. Oftentimes we, we two steps forward, one step back. We sanctification is, is tough. Doing the commands of God, even as a child of God, those that have been empowered by the Holy Spirit and have the word of God, it's still, it's just hard. Life is hard. We live in a fallen world. We're still dealing with flesh, and our, we have a new nature, but in our old nature, I mean, do we have two natures at the same time? That seems impossible. I thought the old man was dead. He's, he's dead, but he sure seems like he's also dying and sometimes comes roaring out of the grave. We, we have all that stuff going on. And if we are trying to, in living a life worthy of the kingdom of God, if in that, it is because we are trying to prove that we're in the kingdom of God. We are going to be filled with either pride, all right, because we're going to be, we're going to be delusional and think we're knocking it out of the park, or we're going to be filled with despair because we know we're not knocking out of the park. And so now we live a life that is constantly being tossed to and fro. When I do well, I'm super assured that God loves me and I love God. But when I do bad, then do I love God? Does he even love me? What's wrong? And that, that's what we don't want to do. We don't want to do any of that. We want to say, man, out of just sheer gratitude, Lord, help me to live a life worthy of, of the upward cause, he's going to say. Help me to live a life worthy of being a citizen of heaven, a citizen of the kingdom of God, because I am a citizen of the kingdom of God. And then when we do it because of gratitude, when we fail, we just run back into the arms of our father and say, forgive me, help me. Or sometimes we can't even get up and, and figuratively run to the hands of our father. Our father runs to us and picks us up and dusts us off and cleans us up and pats us on the back and gets us back on this sanctification train that all of us that all of us are on. If we are a child of God, every one of us in this room, we are being sanctified. It looks different from every person to person. Sometimes it doesn't look like we're being sanctified. That's actually part of the sanctification process. It's, it's just dry spells. And God works all things for good for those who love him and are called according to his purposes. And this may seem counterintuitive. This may even seem like blasphemy at first to you. It's not, though. He even works our sin. 
for our good. He shows us our sin. It leads us to repentance. He picks us up, and then he strengthens us. Now, that doesn't mean we then are like, well, sweet, let's go sin so we can find out what's really wrong with us. No, 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 no. We don't have to even have that attitude. We're going to still struggle with sin. But he will even work that stuff into good. So Paul tells them, as part of, a part of living a life worthy of the kingdom of God, you're a citizen of the kingdom. Now go, remember, this is the imperatives for the people of God. Go be who you are. You're not trying to prove that you are. You're not trying to even be somebody that you're not. Just go be, go be who you are in Christ. And part of, this is so cool, part of what people that are in the kingdom of God, citizens of heaven, part of something that is just, it's a massive part of who they are, are those who rejoice in the Lord. And so he tells them, rejoice in the Lord. And remember, I'll get into this again barely at the end because I don't want to lose this context. This is still in the context of, of unity stuff. This is, remember, unity stuff doesn't stand a chance, like, like disunity doesn't stand a chance for the people of God when they are rejoicing in the Lord, all right? And so he tells them, rejoice in the Lord. And then he tells them to watch out for those that are not rejoicing in the Lord. See, we have in our minds that rejoicing in the Lord looks like this. What we just did. Chuck was up here for a moment, clearly overwhelmed, hands off the guitar, hands in the air. We're like, that's rejoicing in the Lord. Well, it, it's part of it. It's, it's the fruit. Like, that's what it comes out of. But rejoicing in the Lord is, and, and is boasting in the Lord. Rejoicing in the Lord is what he says in uh, verse 3, is not putting confidence in the flesh. That is how you actually then get to this place where then physically you're like this. Or opposite, on the, on the ground, praising the Lord. Or with your heart or with your voice. To truly rejoice in the Lord. That's the picture we all have in our brains. But what we need to understand is that for Paul here, to rejoice in the Lord means to boast in the Lord for everything. In the Lord. In the Lord. It is to put no confidence in the flesh. To rejoice in the Lord is to know that salvation is of the Lord. Through and through. Called and chosen before the foundations of the world. In real time, effectually called by the hearing of the gospel and the power of the Holy Spirit. And then, then he saves you. He gives you a new heart. He births you again. And then he starts sanctifying you and cleaning you up in this real life. He forgives you of your sins. He accounts Christ's righteousness to your credit. He is saving you from start to finish. When you get that through your brain, and I mean 100% salvation being of the Lord, then you will rejoice in the Lord. Imagine rejoicing in the Lord and going, 99% you, 1% me, Lord. It's impossible. None of us would even say that out loud. But there's, there's, there's people out there that want to convince us that it is 99% God and 1% you. There's false teachers. This is the, in the context of false teaching. These Judaizers coming in after Paul. And saying, hey, man, 1% you, bro, get circumcised. And then the greatest false teacher of them all is, guess who that is? Guess who it is? You. You're your greatest false teacher. 
we, we're so wrapped up into merits and works and, and it having something to do with who we are in Christ that even those of us that are just locked in on the five solas, all locked in on grace alone and faith alone and Christ alone to the glory of God alone, we can still sometimes live a life where it's like we're doing this merit stuff. We're trying to earn God's favor. We, we literally sometimes act in a way that is totally contrary to what we actually believe the scriptures to declare, that salvation is of the Lord. So in context of rejoicing in the Lord, so he, he tells them to do it. He tells them that there's guys that aren't doing it, that are actually wanting to rejoice in the Lord and in their own works as well. And he, he calls them dogs and uh, watch out for the evil workers. And then he tells them ultimately what rejoicing in the Lord is, okay? It's those who worship by the Spirit of God, boast in Christ Jesus, verse 3, and do not put confidence in the flesh. That's it. Now, it gets way bigger than that once Paul then does a beautiful thing for us here today. He gives us an example of what it is to uh, rejoice in self and then to rejoice in the Lord. And it is, it is beautiful. Now, my desire here today is that we would grasp the feel, the emotion, and the explosion of Paul's rejoicing in Christ alone, of Paul's rejoicing in the Lord. I want us to feel the full impact of this glorious, rapid-fire testament to the glory of Christ. And oftentimes, when we get into the thick of it, you can lose the feel of it, all right? And I'm not against getting into the thick of it, going through every, I mean, this is what I do in my own private study to prepare for sermons, is I get into the thick of it. I look up every word that I don't maybe know, or maybe it has different meanings. What's it mean in this context? And, and even when I'm studying, I'm like, Lord, help me to not lose sight of the forest for the trees. Help me. And that, I don't want that to happen today. Paul is dealing with unity issues. He then tells them, he's already given an example of his life and how it is, uh, it is worthy of the gospel of Christ. And then he starts telling them how they need to then live as lives worthy of the gospel of Christ. And he climaxes in this rejoicing in the Lord. And then Paul does something spectacular, something that we desperately all need in life, is he then shows them an example of what it means to rejoice in the Lord. And it is, it is beautiful. It is Paul's example of boasting in Christ alone and putting no confidence in the flesh. That's the summation of this whole section. What is this? Well, if you just read it, it's clear. Paul is boasting in Christ alone. Paul is, is not putting any confidence in the flesh, although he used to. He no longer is. Paul compares himself to these false teachers and, and just wipes the, wipes the floor clean with them. But then he shows the better way, and it's in Christ alone. And it's all about this fact that Paul, they're, okay, Paul wants them to rejoice in the Lord. He wants them to know that salvation is completely of the Lord. Everything, everything, their whole life and being, everything is in the Lord, so rejoice in the Lord. And by the way, ignore these false teachers that are coming in and saying otherwise that are wanting to do this, again, uh, uh, Christ plus works for salvation. These Pelagians, 
And clearly Paul was a Pelagian at one time. Where this whole self-righteousness, this whole, this whole works, is somehow, this somehow getting into heaven because of, of the stuff that I have in, in the plus column over here. Who I was born to and what I was born in, and then how I took all that and hit the ground running and just dominated life. All right? So Paul says, man, if these guys, although I have reasons for the confidence of the flesh, if anyone wants to thinks he has grounds for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised the eighth day of the nation of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, speaks the Hebrew language. I mean, this is just what he's born into. He's an Israelite of an Israelite. He's a Jew of all Jews. And, and this is stuff that was out of his control. But he's got stuff that he can control. And what's he do with the things that he has been given? Well, of the law of Pharisee. He's, he's in a class of his own uh, regarding zeal, persecuting the church. Regarding the righteousness that is in the law, blameless. Now, that doesn't mean Paul thinks he's perfect, but his conscience is clean. He's done everything that the law says to do, even when you break the law. He's made amends with how the law tells you to make amends. His life is one of, it's just perfection. But look what Paul says. Number one, he considers everything that was gained a loss because of Christ. But everything that was gained to me, all, all this stuff he just mentioned, you want to go toe-to-toe -to -toe with me, Paul says? Look at me, circumcised the eighth day of the nation of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, regarding the law, a Pharisee, regarding zeal, persecuting the church, regarding the righteousness that is in the law, blameless, first-class, elite citizen of Israel. And then he says, but everything that was gained to me, which is looking back on what he just said, all that, all that stuff that's in this column over here, this, what I once deemed to be a plus column, I have considered to be a loss because of Christ. Man, rejoicing in the Lord. This is what it looks like. All those things for Paul that he, like, was born into and all those things that he has worked hard at, that he was elevated to some sort of merit for salvation where he was going to stand before God based on his good deeds, based on his good works, based on him being a good person, based on him knocking home runs out left and right, day after day, day after day. He considers all of that to be a loss because of Christ. That's what rejoicing in the Lord looks like. The end result of rejoicing in the Lord is when you see somebody up here praising the Lord with their, or you see the body of Christ gathered together, singing songs of worship, praising God, of course. But at the heart of it, just like Paul, is the people of God knowing that no matter what, again, it's not that we don't consider those things necessarily bad in and of themselves. It's fine, whatever family you were born into, if you were born into an awesome family, that's great. It's fine if you're a hard worker. It's fine if you got straight A's your whole life and have a PhD. It's more than fine. Praise the Lord for that. It's not fine when you start thinking there's something about that that merits you right standing before God. And so then we, with Paul, just say, okay, Lord, all that stuff that sometimes, although I know not to do it, I do do it. I walk with my chest out. I walk with my nose up. 
I, I even look down on people. I'm some sort of elite person. They're not. Uh, whatever. Lord, help me to just count everything that in your providence was gained to me. Help me to consider that all lost when I think about standing before you on the last day. That's what Paul does. He's just showing us what rejoicing in the Lord looks like, and then that's what we do. Number two, he considers not only all this stuff to be a loss, he then says he considers everything. More than that, I also consider everything to be a loss in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. Because I have suffered the loss of all things and consider them as dung so that I may gain Christ. Man. Now, this is in comparison to knowing Christ. I don't think he thinks everything is dung. I think he's just like, hey, even these things that are great and good, whatever it is in life, compared to Christ, it's as if it's dung. So he just doesn't look at what he was born into and how hard he worked and his accomplishments. When he looks around at all of life, he's just like, I consider everything, everything a loss compared to knowing Christ. I mean, this guy is locked in on Christ. This guy is locked in on not putting any confidence at all in his flesh. This guy is locked in on salvation is of the Lord. This guy is locked in on the person and work of Jesus Christ. So much so that he declares out loud what we all declare and want to declare out loud and in our own hearts. That Christ would be first and foremost and that everything else would not even be sitting at the same table with Christ in our lives. That when we would look, when we look in the back seat, there's no one in the back seat. When we look in our trunks, there is nothing, there is nothing in there. It's Christ, Christ, Christ. When we're thinking about salvation, when we're thinking about our works and do they merit, when we're looking around for our works, for meritorious like qualities that we would just not see them anywhere. All we would see is Christ and his works. Paul, is, it is so beautiful. And the cry of Paul, I do know, it's the cry of us all. We, we know this, is, this should be our cry. And we long to be more and more like Paul here, all right? Number three, in verse nine, all right, he says, that I may gain Christ at the end of verse eight. Then he lets us know what that looks like, to, and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own from the law, but one that is through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God based on faith. So number three, what it looks like to rejoice in the Lord is Paul shows us his desire to gain Christ, to be found in him, not having a righteousness of his own. That's what it looks like to rejoice in the Lord. It comes down again. He's just saying the same thing over and over and over again in a way. He's saying ultimately verse three over and over and over again. Don't boast in Christ. We don't put confidence in the flesh. No, our desire, our desire is to gain Christ and to be united to Christ, to be found in him. Our desire is knowing that we don't have a righteousness of our own. Our righteousness is from God based on faith, not from circumcision like these yahoos are saying. Our righteousness isn't from who we were born into and what family. Our righteousness isn't all of our accolades and, and, and all of our accomplishments. 
Our righteousness isn't keeping God's commands. It's not found in that. No, to rejoice in the Lord is to know that our righteousness is in Christ and his keeping the commands and his living a life that is perfect. That's where the righteousness comes from and that's where the rejoicing comes from. And once we know it, we can't help but to rejoice in the Lord. We can't help to also just want to be gain Christ and to be found in him and not have a righteousness of my own from the law. He doesn't have a righteousness as his own. He knows that. To have a righteousness that is his own from the law, to have a righteousness from your own works and keeping God's commands is to have no righteousness at all. The only righteousness is to have a righteousness that is not our own, but through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God. To rejoice in the Lord, Paul shows us in verse 4, or verses 10 through 11, number 4, is to know Christ and have a desire to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings. Man, it's, he just wants Christ. Over, over and over and over again. My goal is to know him and the power of his resurrection. And we're all like, praise the Lord. I want to know the power of his resurrection. I, as, as Chuck was praying, we, I want out of here. I, I, want, I, want, I want to be glorified. I want to be perfected as Christ was, was resurrected. I want to be in the glorified body that Christ is in. I want that. And he says, and a fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to his death, assuming that I will somehow reach the resurrection from the dead. And so Paul wants to know the resurrection power, wants to also know and suffer and fellowship in his sufferings with Christ. And in the sufferings, all right, that's how he is conformed in this life into the very image of God. When we die, and ultimately when we live, then we'll be conformed to the very image of God through glorification, through resurrection. But in this life, it's through suffering. And it's, it's suffering the same way and for the same reasons Christ did. For obedience to the Father, obedience to the Word of God, and for loving and serving other people. Paul wants to know that. Because I think deep down, Paul, though, although he's not running around looking for suffering, he, he knows that in this life, guys, okay, this is kind of bad news, but it's all right. In this life, it's good news because it ends so good. Like, the, basically the only way, all right, to have the layers of the onion of your heart peeled back and sin revealed in your life, to be conformed in and then to, to then, you know, by God's grace, to in faith and repentance, to just continually just stay at it. That's, that's, it's, it's suffering. It's through suffering that we realize what Christ went through. It's through our own suffering that then Man, we are then conformed. It's through suffering that then we become broken and hearted and contrite people. It's through suffering that we become soft and kind and compassionate. It's only through suffering that we're able to be then humble like him, assuming that I will somehow reach the resurrection from the dead. Now, he's already told them, um, he, who is, he who began a good work and you will be faithful to complete it. So he's not doubting that God's not going to complete this work, but... He, he's, not, he's not sitting on his laurels. I don't know what that means. It sounds good. I think it's the right phrase, though. He's not, he's not sitting. I've done this before. I'm having deja vu with the exact same phrase. 
Um, he, he's not sitting on the couch. He, he's, he's, he's working out his own salvation with fear and trembling. And part of that is to have this desire, of course, of course, to know him in the power of his resurrection, but also to know him with the fellowship of his sufferings. But it's not suffering for being an idiot. It, it's not suffering because you sin. It's suffering for actually for doing what God wants you to do, declared in his word, and it's suffering for loving God and for loving and serving people. Paul wants to know that because as he suffers, then he has this deep, mysterious fellowship with Christ. It's, it's he, I mean, do you want to walk in Christ's shoes? Oh, yes. Well, do you want to suffer? No. <laughs> no, neither do I. But that's what it is ultimately to walk in Christ's shoes. It is to suffer for doing the same things Christ did. Loving the Father and loving people. Laying his life down for people. That's what it's going to be for us. And it's so cool because the result of that is being conformed into his death. Being conformed to Christ. And that's what we all want. And this suffering, again, is a suffering for our love and devotion to God and our love and devotion to others. Paul declares in Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. There's Paul. There's Paul rejoicing in the Lord. So much so that not only is he cool with the suffering, he's all about the suffering. Because in suffering, he gets to fellowship with the Lord. Number five, Paul, then, this is again an aspect of rejoicing of the Lord, makes every effort and his every pursuit to reach this goal, the prize promised by God, which is the resurrection of the dead. The resurrection from the dead then takes over Paul's thoughts here in verses 12 through 14. Not that I have already reached the goal, all right, the resurrection, or am already perfect, but I make every effort, again, he's working out his salvation with fear and trembling. I make every effort to take hold of it. And here's that key. Here's the key for today's sermon. Because I also have been taken hold of by Christ Jesus. All this effort, all this rejoicing, all this desire, all this passion, all this emotion is all because he has been taken hold of by Christ Jesus. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself to have taken hold of it. No confidence in the flesh at all. All about, all about boasting in Christ Jesus. I do not consider myself to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and reaching forward to what is ahead. What is ahead? The resurrection from the dead. I pursue as my goal. What's the goal? Resurrection from the dead. The prize, what's the prize? Resurrection from the dead, promised by God's heavenly call in Christ Jesus. All rests, all rests on God taking hold of him and all rests on the heavenly call, God's promise in Christ Jesus. So if we want to know what it looks like to rejoice in the Lord, instead of, again, there's a time and place for this, and instead of just getting sometimes locked in on all the details, it's just this beautiful explosion of truth and beauty and praise 
and boasting in Christ and putting no confidence in the flesh here from Paul. I mean, verses 8 through 11 is just one sentence in the original language. And I love that Paul does this. He does this. I mean, if you read Paul, there are so many sections in Paul where you're like, is he ever going to put a period after that? And then the translators do, but then you find out Paul didn't even put a period there yet. And he just goes on and on and on. And we can sometimes be like, well, this word means that. That means this. Well, the know here means this type of knowing. And that, and, and again, it's fine. But then, but if that leads us to see, to forget and to blind us to seeing just the pure beauty of this declaration here, then God forbid. Let us just see Paul as someone who just loves the Lord so much, who had all this confidence in the flesh, who thought he was going to stand before the living God one day based on what he had done and accomplished. And he thought he was doing what God wanted him to do. So much so he thought God was wanting him to persecute this new sect, this church, Christianity. But he had a wake-up call. He was born again. He was given a new heart. And in that, he has come to the, the ultimate and, and obvious conclusion is that salvation is completely of the Lord. And then, therefore, it leads Paul to rejoice in the Lord. And then we just see Paul's example before us today. We say, that's it. Lord, that, that's, a, that's it. That's all I need. I just need to come week after week after week after week and be reminded that salvation is of the Lord. I just need to come week after week after week and be reminded that it is, salvation is by grace alone through Christ alone. That's it. Because this is, this is it, making Christ everything. And so the application is the same as last week. It is to rejoice in the Lord. That's the call. But you can't, again, put the cart before the horse. You have to have a solid foundation about who Christ is, what Christ has done, who you were, and because of what he's done, who you are now, united to Christ, forgiven, you have his righteousness. Now you're a child of God. That leads us then to rejoice in the Lord. That leads us to boast in Christ alone for salvation. I don't want any part of boasting for, in myself. But I don't boast in myself intellectually. I will never give you the wrong answer intellectually. I will, you will never hear me. Well, you will because I'm cocky and I'm sarcastic and kidding. But not in salvation. You will never hear me boast in myself. But I'm telling you, week in and week out, I just I slide right into it. I don't say it out loud. I, and if you were to ask me, I, wouldn't even, I, I would, could say all the right things. But it's this day after day, week after week, of just sliding in to uh, boasting in myself or, or, or just seeing myself so so bad that I would never boast on myself. And then I start doubting whether I'm even saved or not. But we gather together and we see stuff like this and we're like, praise the Lord. I'm not going to put confidence in myself today. I'm going to boast in Christ Jesus. To rejoice in the Lord is to boast in Christ Jesus alone for salvation. It is to put no confidence in the flesh because salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone, because salvation is of the Lord, guess what we get to do? Rejoice in the Lord and rejoice in the Lord alone. That's the application. 
That's what he wants for them, and that's what the word of God wants for us today. And so last week, that's it. We saw last week that to rejoice in the Lord is the ones who worship by the Spirit of God boast in Christ Jesus and do not put confidence in the flesh. Well, this week we find out that once you lay that groundwork, then, man, you open the doorway to just a whole host of things that are going to help you rejoice in the Lord. And they're as follows. To rejoice in the Lord is to consider everything as loss in view of knowing Christ. To rejoice in the Lord is to know that our righteousness is from God based on faith in Christ. To rejoice in the Lord is to rejoice knowing that we will reach the resurrection from among the dead all because of the finished work of Christ. To rejoice in the Lord leads us to make our goal to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings. To rejoice in the Lord is to walk humbly. To rejoice in the Lord leads us to make every effort to reach the prize, the resurrection from the dead. To rejoice in the Lord is to forget what is behind, reach forward to what is ahead. Again, the resurrection from the dead. To rejoice in the Lord is to pursue the promise of God. Again, the resurrection from the dead. To rejoice in the Lord is to put our focus on eternal things, God's heavenly call and not on temporal and earthly things. To rejoice in the Lord is to absolutely know with every fiber of our beings that salvation is of the Lord. We will only rejoice in the Lord to the degree that we understand that salvation is of the Lord, whether you like it or not, whether you understand it or not. There is no 0.01% you in salvation. Again, what do we bring to the table when it comes to our salvation? We bring our sin, and we bring our need of a Savior. That's it, where there's no helping God. And as we really just praise the Lord for salvation, he's the author and finisher of salvation, when we praise the Lord for just saving us, then, then there's not going to be any boasting in our own works. And Paul can say in Colossians, so if you have been raised with Christ, and we have, seek the things above. Man, that's what he's doing. He ends this whole little section with just seeking the resurrection from among the dead. Seek the things of Christ above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things above, not on earthly things, for you died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, listen, we read that, we're like, I need to make Christ my life. I'm a believer, but man, I want Christ to be my life. Believer, Christ is your life on the good days and the bad days. Christ is your life. When he appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. And Paul just has what he just says here, that's what he has set before him all the time. And that's what he sets before us here today in Philippians. He sets it for us in Romans. He sets it before us in Ephesians. He sets it before us in First and Second Thessalonians, First and Second Corinthians, Colossians. I already read Colossians. There's other books he probably wrote. Hebrews maybe, probably not, just kidding, probably did. That, that, this is him doing that. He's just setting this whole thing before us again. Christ, rejoice in the Lord. Who's the Lord? Oh, man, what did the Lord do? And then you just start thinking about those things and chewing on them and going for walks on nice fall days, and then you start rejoicing in the Lord. How could you not? How could you not? 
And even if it only, if even if it fades and you forget, and then and you're back at it, that's it's fine. We're just pilgrims passing through. I mean, they call that Luther called it the theology of glory versus theology of the cross. And if you notice, most of the Christian books written today, they have this whole theology of the glory, which a theology of glory is fine as long as you know when the theology of the glory is going to take place. It ain't taking place in this life. In this life, it's the theology of the cross that takes the, the, is, is at the front. We have this already not yet aspect of the kingdom of God, so we get taste, right? We get taste of, of success, and then we start telling everyone, we start, we start acting like all these great moments, that these exceptions to the rule then should be the rule. And something's wrong with you if, if, if these exceptions aren't the rule in your life. Life is hard. And God knew in his providence and his genius that we would struggle, although we could grasp, but we've even struggled intellectually to grasp it. The church has proved for 2,000 years that they have to grasp that salvation is 100% through and through from the Lord. But even for those of us that have grasped it, he knows we're going to still struggle in our everyday interactions with just life and people and our own brains, our own heart. He knew. And so what, what, what's, what's the cure? It's this constant reminder of Christ and his work. And, and then it's like that medicine wears off and we just need more medicine. And the medicine is always Christ, his person and his work. Guys, there, and this is, I have to put it in context and then I'll close. Actually, you guys can come up because that'll help me close quicker. You guys, Chuck can come up. <laughs> Sorry, there's other guys. They're just not here. Um, there is no hope for false teaching, all right? And specifically the false teaching from these false teachers and the false teaching sometimes and oftentimes from our own hearts, all right? Of, of trying to do good deeds to earn God's favor in any way, shape, or form, okay? There is no chance for that false teaching, all right, when we rejoice in the Lord. Paul knows it. Yeah, he comments a little bit about what these guys are doing. He comments a little bit about their character, their dogs, their evil workers. Doesn't go too much in the detail. What he, what's he do? He shows you the positive side to look at it. You're going to recognize false teaching that from your own brain and from other false teachers that are trying to elevate your works and try to motivate you, their whole message is do, 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 do. That's their message. And, and they're never saying done, 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 done to the people of God. You're going to recognize that, not as you focus so much on, on what people are saying and how they're saying it wrongly, but as you focus on Christ and the person of Christ and the work of Christ. When you focus on salvation being 100% completely through and through from the Lord, then you're going to see the, the gravest false teaching in the history of mankind, which is up, 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 you you get some sort of merit, you're going to see that from a mile away. You ain't going to fall for it in your own brain, and you're not going to fall from it when you're visiting a church and the pastor up front is trying to act like he has some sort of insight, and he's, all he's doing is pointing, him to, pointing you to yourself over and over and over again as the measuring stick. Amen. This will protect you from that, and Paul knew it. Yeah. And also remember, there's a unity issue going on in Philippi, all right? And I'll say it, I said it once, I'll say it again. Division amongst God's people stands no chance when God's people unite together and to rejoice in the Lord together. No chance. Doesn't mean we don't deal with it and face it, but it stands no chance of overwhelming the people of God. Not when we rejoice in the Lord. Paul knew it. This is why he's highlighting it. He's going to highlight it again in chapter 4. I love it. He says, he's already said, hey, not to write this to you again, no trouble. What's the thing he's writing to them again in chapter 3? Rejoicing in the Lord. 
What's he say at the beginning of chapter four? Rejoice in the Lord. And again, I say rejoice right in the middle of division. And so Paul, who has already declared to us, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain, shows us, he's just showing us a picture of that, of what that looks like. And the people of God say, yes, Lord, that's, that is me. I am like Paul. Help me to be more like Paul, which he'll later on here next week, he'll say, be like me, be like Paul. I thought this was cool. We all know this. St. Patrick, all right? This is a good summation, all right, of what has to go, what theologically, to, this will simplify even this section. I, what, how do I rejoice in the Lord? What needs, what? What do I need to think about? Because that's where the war is. How about this from St. Patrick? Christ with me, Christ before me, Christ behind me, Christ in me, Christ beneath me, Christ above me, Christ on my right, Christ on my left, Christ when I lie down, Christ when I sit down, Christ when I arise. Lord, let's pray. Lord, thank you. We love you. I can barely talk now. You are everything to us. Everything, Lord, that was gained to us, we consider to be a loss because of you. And Lord, even more than that, we consider, along with Paul, everything to be a loss in view of the surpassing value of knowing you, Christ Jesus, our Lord. We have gained you. We have found and we will be found in you, not having a righteousness of our own, but one through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God. And Lord, the only reason we can even say that we have found you and that we can pursue you and pursue the goal and the prize is because you have found us. You have taken hold of us by your son, Christ Jesus. And we thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. <clears throat>